Hi everyone, welcome to a Soulful Storm podcast. I am your host, Tasha Samper, and we are continuing the Black Girl Roundtable for Black History Month. This week, I've got two lovely guests with me. I've got Nezi from Tales on the Plantation, and I've got a new guest to introduce to you guys. I've got Ahura. Would you like to introduce what podcast you host? Um, I host Unpacked Podcast with my co-host Marcus, and it, we this we unpack and discuss all things pop culture and cultural. So yeah, that's us. We're new. Okay. We're a baby. So yeah. Okay. Well, I'm so happy to have both of you here, and this week we are going to be unpacking our black girls relationship with the beauty industry and just who our inspirations were growing up and representation in the media so the reason why i was thinking about unpacking our relationship with makeup and the beauty industry was because today i um, went into town. It's been very rare for me to actually go out uh, to Chelmsford City Centre ever since the lockdown started. But I went out and I was like, I really want to get like a nude colour lipstick. So marched myself into John Lewis, went to MAC, and I was just there like trying to get the right shade myself. And what do you call the the assistant that helps you specifically with makeup what do you call them does anyone know uh, makeup artist <laughs> i don't know yeah Make, yeah makeup okay. artist makeup assistant okay makeup artist slash assistant and so we were both trying to find the appropriate shade for my skin tone and we kind of settled on one and the appropriate lip liner and then i thought to myself, Tasha, you actually have bills to pay, so you cannot buy new lip liner, so we're just going to have to go with the lipstick. And it just dawned upon me, like, this is not something that I could have done at 15 years old, because I remember going into Superdrug, being about 15, and there was only one kind of similar-ish shade for me, and it was Maybelline, and I bought it, and it made me look like Casper the Friendly Ghost. <laughs> so, I just mm. wanted, to, I wanted to, to talk about our relationship with makeup. So, Nezi, I'm going to ask you first, like, what is your experience with makeup now versus what it was when you were a teenager? Okay, so... I think my experience is a bit of a weird one because I definitely grew up, one, not being allowed to wear makeup as a teenager, like 100%. So, like, my experience was, like, zero. Um, And then, two, as I got older, choosing not to wear makeup for, like, in my early 20s. Um, But I think, especially as a teenager, I remember that even when I did... Even little things like lip balms or like, you know, when you get like, if you, if you bought a magazine, like, oh, back in the day, it was something like, um, Ms. Magazine or 
oh, I'm trying to think what was the other magazine that was like kind of popular maybe like young young glamour or young Cos- cosmo or one of those and they'd have like a free gift on the front oh yeah or if you got like those. Free I always remember just being like annoyed because sometimes the samples just wouldn't suit my skin tone so it's like if they had like a blusher it's not gonna suit my skin tone if they had a lipstick it might be a shade that just doesn't suit my skin tone um and always just being very always having an acute awareness that makeup wasn't especially looking at the older women in my lives like a lot of them like I grew up, like I am sensitive and grew up in, and a lot of older sensitive women don't wear makeup, um, which I think is partly because of like kind of like you know the reasons of like dress codes and whatever, but also because I think it just wasn't available for them. So even the ones who wanted to wear makeup just didn't have the range to wear makeup because there just wasn't that much out there for black women. So I just grew up seeing something that was very inaccessible to me. Mm. Versus now. So versus now, oh, like I actually really, <laughs> I love makeup. Um, I'm very much, um, I would say I'm not, I'm not like a makeup aficionado. Like one, like I'm not somebody on YouTube who has like loads of different eyeshadow palettes and you know different. I, I have one eyeshadow palette, I have, but I, I, because I very much like a natural, like very nude look. Um. And I very much, I have, like, I brands brands that I like are kind of, like, Glossier and, like, a very kind of natural, neutral t- palette. But at the same time, I really enjoy makeup. And I I enjoy, I see it as really therapeutic. It's, like, a part of getting ready for my day is I actually really enjoy putting on my eyeliner or putting on a bit of, like, concealer and, like, a, a cream brush. like and, and just now having so much to choose from, um more so than I did before it's just it just means that I see it as something fun rather than something that's like a chore to look for so it's not like oh my gosh I'm gonna have to find the shade of makeup it's like oh now I have so many options I can just be like I can find whatever shade I want um mm-hmm. so yeah a lot has changed okay and what about you Ahura? um for me unlike Nezi um makeup wasn't in I didn't I didn't see makeup as inaccessible to me as a child um I grew up around aunts who like really loved makeup and the one brand that they had on their like vanity table was MAC um and so I would always want to try it and experiment as sneakily as like children do um but then as I got older into like teenagers I never felt the need for makeup like all the other girls in my school would throw on lip gloss or mascara to school which I just never got I just never felt the need for makeup um but I would I'd be content with Vaseline and hand cream as long as I was moisturized (laughs) (laughs) um and but I I never felt yeah I never felt makeup was inaccessible to me and I would there was only one brand that I was familiar with which was MAC because of what I'd seen growing up um it was only when I was 15 that I felt that I should start wearing makeup because my skin started to get really bad Mm. and I wanted to cover up my blemishes and like um hyperpigmentation spots 
So that was when, because of the influence of a friend of mine at the time, um, I started wearing concealer. And I had no clue about makeup, but I was wearing the wrong shade of concealer for years. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Um, but, you know, as long as everything was covered up and not visible, I was happy. And the worst, like, my skin isn't extreme in terms of acne. So the multiples I would get and the more, like, scarring on my face, the more I, like, began to experiment with makeup, eventually going full face foundation, um, mascara. But I, I don't do the whole like blush thing like for me that would be too time consuming um it was just like I guess in my 20s that's when I started to like late teens early 20s is when I started to experiment more with makeup so yeah I started definitely familiarizing myself with other brands and watching the YouTube videos as well Mm. Mm. yes I would like to add also that I'm like if you ask my friends or my sisters I'm probably like the least into makeup because I mean I love wearing like lipstick lip gloss and I've always just loved eyeliner but the whole foundation blush highlighter I I don't do any of that and I had always stayed away from foundation for years because it made my skin break out. And I, I'm pretty sure that, you know, my relationship with Maybelline had a lot to do with it. But sometimes I wonder to myself, would my relationship with makeup had been better if there was more of an option? Because I'm sure we all remember the day that Rihanna released Fenty and her 40 different shades. Does, does everyone remember that day? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't I remember at my old workplace, because the turnover was quite high, it seemed like quite a few black girls, when they were leaving the office to go, um, I'll just keep it 100, I used to work for the home office, but when, when people were leaving, the black girls were receiving um, Fenty gifts as their leaving present. And... As much as I don't wear foundation and my skin is pretty good, I actually don't need it. I was thinking to myself, damn, even I would like to get in on this foundation just simply because I want to have the option of knowing I can have the perfect shade and won't be out here looking like a heart, like looking like a corpse. So, and I find it very, very interesting how suddenly when Rihanna came out and she had lines of women outside of Harvey Nickel and I'll, I'll comment what she had it in um, in um, New York. I can't remember what the equivalent was. But I find it very interesting how so many now brands of makeup started having shades for black girls as well. How, how come this only happened in two, 2017? So, yep. anyone have thoughts on that? I think um, I think the internet has a huge part to play. Um, 
but I also think that a celebrity like Rihanna, who is hyper-aware, maybe got to the point in her career where she's building a beauty brand and is like, I want to include all shades. But I'm, I'm going to say, uh, for me, I just think it was the internet that played a huge part and just the whole diversity became such a topic at that point as well not even inclusion like I feel like inclusion became a hot topic in 2018 but that at that point diversity within makeup was a big thing and Rihanna was the first to jump on the bandwagon of including more shades Mm. what do you think Nazi? I think, yeah, I definitely think social media was with it. I definitely think, like, um, YouTube and the fact that there were so many makeup, like, black makeup artists that we were starting to see on YouTube um, that were doing so many different makeup looks and the fact that it was very, very obvious that there was a demand for for shades that suited a lot, you know, a lot more of a diverse range of skin tones. Um, I think that definitely influenced it. But I also think that there's so many brands that have started now having more shades. And I think the argument before was that, you know, black women don't buy makeup enough or it's not almost like not profitable for them to to make these shades. And I think what Rihanna realised being a black woman is that that was a ridiculous argument. Um, We all know that black women, I think because of so many of the pressures that black women face in terms of being constantly told that we're not the standard of beauty black women actually spend more on their appearance like you know um as a group than other women do so the idea that there wasn't a market for that was just crazy and she basically capitalized on the fact that yeah there was a demand and that if she was going to do it like rihanna anything that she does business wise she does it really well um so she wasn't going to do a half baked kind of like 20 shades she was going to do the whole thing properly and she did yeah, I agree, because she has yeah. shades for um, albinos right down to the darkest shade of black women. Because yeah. I, I remember, um, what was it? The oh, Which Oscars was it? I think it was the 2019 Oscars, where it was reported that Daniel Kaluuya was wearing Fenty foundation. Like, no it was way. Put, it was put out there. And... For me, I have side-eyed a lot of makeup companies so hard ever since the inception of Fenty because the way they hopped, skipped, ran and jumped to now include shades for black women when Rihanna came onto the scene just made me think to myself, I I now have a built-in loyalty for Fenty um, because... I, I, I can't be taking myself over to these brands of makeup that I have been familiar with for years that never catered to women who look like me. And you guys both know me. I'm not even the darkest of black women. So, no, you're lighter than me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm lighter than both of you. And there was no shade for me. And you, your, your brands have been around for years. It took mm. you to 2017 to realize that black women wear makeup. I, I don't buy it for a second. I don't, I don't, 
that may have been the reasoning that they gave, like, oh, black women don't wear makeup. I just don't think it was seen as a priority. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was so bad that, you know, you'd have to mix two or three shades together if you used a different brand, you know. Um, and when Fenty came along, one thing I did notice was um, their shade matching technique. While okay. I, I feel like their shade matching technique has actually improved over the years, especially because um, they've now got a second foundation. Um, I really like when I first tried it um, I really appreciated their shade matching technique now it wasn't perfect when I tried it I did get the wrong shade I was matched badly but I was just in awe of the 40 shades Um, it was it was actually really emotional for me because of the connection we have to make up and just how much that comes yeah as black women we spend on our appearance I felt appreciated and seen for the first time in the beauty industry um and I think also it's for me not only has makeup changed but like our entire approach to skin and skin color because Mm -hmm. I think I think there's definitely so even the fact that I think things like over the last you know, past I would say past year, a couple of years or so. I do. You guys remember when the like nose contouring was like a very, very popular. Yes. As in, like everybody was yes. contouring yeah. their nose. And me, yeah. I don't even know how to. I, and I don't want to. I exercise <laughs> my nose. And my nose is wide. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that I think there was definitely a phase where if I think I can even see a transition in how we, you know, even the fact that I think back in the day dark skin was almost seen as a dark skin was seen as as a flaw even in an unspoken Mm. way and that there was kind of like a push to try and kind of black features to minimize black features and I think that's even changed in in the entire way we speak about our bodies like you know even back in the day like you wanted to make your bottom look smaller not accentuate it you wanted to make your nose look smaller um and, and we still have some of those problems in the beauty industry you know but I do think that along with the celebration of the skin it was a, the celebration of the fact that actually dark skin is not just something like oh you have it it's fine but it's actually something that's actually great like it's actually beautiful like the darker shades are actually nice and that a dark skin model was used as one of like the, the first you know when the, it, the campaign was first launched like a dark skin model was used as one of the models and I think it's that that celebration rather than that tolerance like not just tolerating dark skin but actually celebrating it and not just like tolerating our features but actually like celebrating and affirming them I think is really important. I think so I I completely agree with you um it does lead me to think about how our features are only seen as acceptable or beautiful when they are put on a white woman, I will never forget growing up being about 11, 12. I felt like I thought that I was at that age when Angelina Jolie was at like the height of being the standard of beauty in Hollywood and just the obsession about her lips. And I remember up until that point, mm-hmm. not not so that anyone made fun of me, but I was acutely aware that, you know, having big lips was not 
considered great. And and then J-Lo came on the scene and suddenly having a big bum was like an amazing thing. And I was thinking to myself, all the women I know in my life, the black women, have <laughs> big bums. Their bums are massive, yeah. especially the 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 so the further south you get in Africa, I feel like the bigger your bum is. But I was made fun of my bum in school and because of that I actually didn't like having a big bum. Really? Yeah. Like the Ugh. jokes I used to get like man, like even my so called closest friends would make fun of me. You know. Wow. But then one of the girls in my group would like if we were like one time we were at a sleepover and she secretly took me aside and was like, Can you show me how to like shake your bum? And I was like, Huh? Eh? <laughs> but yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> was she one of the girls who used to make fun of you like openly? No, she she actually she was one of those who didn't make fun of me. The other girls did. But I I also didn't take it seriously at the time, but hindsight's a beautiful thing. Um, but I should have really paid more attention to what they're saying because it was not acceptable or good. But yeah. Mm. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, man. I definitely. So sorry. Mm. I definitely. I definitely think that I felt. Um, yeah, like I do remember even when. <laughs> I do remember when Jennifer Lopez, like, there was a big fuss about Jennifer Lopez's bum as well. Being kind of, like, confused. I think it's probably around 14 or 13 at the time. Being kind of confused because I was like, I see her bum on, like, women every day. Like, mm. like there's nothing special about it. Even, and, like, even my, like, I was like, my mum has a better bum than Jennifer Lopez. Like, I have a better bum than Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> like, right. I was just, like, I was so confused. I mean, I would proudly say that. I don't even care. Um, <laughs> I was I, I was like I'm so confused and there was definitely a feeling and I think for me I my main like growing up my main kind of insecurities were my skin tone and my hair like features wise I actually have quite I guess like small features for a black person I guess one would say like I, I never I didn't I don't have a particularly white nose I don't have particularly full lips but I am dark skinned um so I always like my hair was my constant source of like frustration like I just did not like my hair um and like I have type four hair like type four I don't know four B or whatever hair and I always even though even though my my parents celebrated my hair and to be fair like the black people around me most of them didn't say anything negative about my hair I just especially growing up in an all-white school um in primary school I just always wanted to have hair like my friends like I just felt I didn't ever articulate it but I just almost felt that this hair was almost like a bit of a curse. <laughs> like I was just like, oh my gosh, I've been cursing this hair. Um and so even just the natural hair movement of the, the past few years has also been like a massive um just a massive self-esteem boost in terms of actually like really enjoying my hair and actually liking it instead of just tolerating it. And it is still frustrating to see like Kim Kardashian's boxer braids being praised or, you know, people doing blackface but with, with the same thing with black hair but I am despite that I think there's been such um there's been a lot of progress um when it comes to celebrating my hair yeah you're right there's such a shifting and I will say this when it comes to you Nezzy 
you and I would say our overlapping circle of friends are definitely one of the reasons why I decided to go natural because you give me so such hair envy. Oh, I can't deal. Because oh. <laughs> I definitely remember of like our group of friends. I was definitely one of like the last to go natural. I went natural in 2012. Yeah, yeah. Yes, because I remember your brother making fun of me. He was like, everybody in this room is natural except for you, Tasha. Why? I was like... <laughs> I thought you were about to say he made fun of your natural hair. I was like, what? I'm about to go and pull it up. He would never. He would never. <laughs> I remember we were at cat meeting and I was the only one with braids and everyone had their natural hair out. And he was like, Tasha, I don't understand what this is. leave me alone no there there has been such a shifting which kind of leads me to our next conversation which is about media representation growing up and just how you guys dealt with your blackness growing up because i'll give you an example as you guys know, I, I grew up in Essex, so I was in just like a sea, or, no, let me rephrase that, I was in a snowstorm, like, we, we knew every black family in, in Chelmsford, and even when I went to school, I went to an international school, and there were eight black people in my year, including the mixed race people, and that was considered loads for because it it wouldn't be surprising if there was only about four black people in a whole school for like my friends who I went to church with so even even at that time I understood that this this amount of people was not the norm and so when I was growing up I because like my mum and dad made sure that you know when we went to church you know we would we would visit London often so we'll go to like a lot of black churches in London or we'll just see relatives from Zambia so on the weekends I saw a lot of black people but it's like I love collecting magazines and that's still reflected in how I am now I guess that's the journalism side of me kicking in but I loved reading magazines and I was so acutely aware that black women were not on the cover of magazines, at least not the standard ones like Cosmo and Glamour and even the music ones like Smash Hits. Like, do you guys remember Smash Hits going up? Gosh, oh, yeah. I remember Smash Hits, yeah. So I, used to, I used to get that all the time. I had every <laughs> same here i had like a smash hit cd that had like a christina aguilera song on it i can't remember who i was but i remember like what song was it oh god what christina aguilera song was it so emotional that's it yeah like they would give you like these um cds with only five tracks on it and it would be the like b-sides of an artist song yeah i loved that i digress but yeah i used to get that used to get top of the top of the pops magazine and black people just weren't on the cover unless it was Destiny's Child. Or maybe I think there was Mystique, Mystique one time. Yeah, Mystique was on there one time because I put that poster in my locker, I remember. Mm. But it just it just wasn't the thing to see black women on the cover. And 
when you talk about things like Glamour and Cosmo, I remember that sometimes Halle Berry would be on there, but other than that, you just didn't see them. So when I went to uni, and I just happened to go to WH Smith, and I realised that they sold Ebony and Essence in WH Smith. Guys, I promise you, the entire time I was at uni, I bought Ebony and Essence every month until I left. Wow. And I'm not kidding. My collection was ridiculous. And I brought it all home with me. Some of them are still in my room right now. Some of them were in the garage when we moved house and they've been ruined. But I kept a couple of them. So I've got like the jumping broom issue with like Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, Laz Alonzo and... Who is Robin Thicke's wife? Paula Pattinson? Paula Pattinson. Yeah. 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 I kept that one. I kept the one of Zoe Saldana. I kept um, that um, Ebony did when Obama was elected um, as uh, president of the USA. Ebony did, dedicated the entire issue to him. Every spread was a different angle of his life or how he run the campaign. Yeah, I still have it. It's in my room. There's another one that they did on Black Love, um, which had, they had three different covers. So they had the Barack and Michelle issue. They had the Jay-Z and Beyonce one. And they had um, Boris Kojo and his wife, Nicole, is it Parker? Nicole Ar- yeah, Nicole Ari Parker. Yeah, so I've kept a lot of ones like that, and then um, uh, the the one in Chelmsford now does it doesn't sell ebony, but it sells essence. So I have quite a few from last year as well. So I started recollecting when I moved back from London, and I didn't realize until I went to uni how much I needed to see. The faces of my people on a regular basis that's why i could not stop buying them and it's why to this day mm. i won't stop buying them yeah um, no i i completely understand that because i was actually younger than you when i started buying ebony and essence i was in secondary school mm. um i was i think 14 or 15 when i started buying it and like back then they were they were pricey for me but i had to buy them because like like yourself <laughs> sorry i think they're 3.99 yeah but yeah. The, the little money i would get for the week i would buy it um because i've always loved magazines as well and one of the other magazines i used to buy was national Enquirer, so i'd throw that in um but i always always got my essence and my ebony and like I stopped getting them into later into my teen years, I think, because I just was like they're too expensive. Um, but then I had a moment of doubt. I was like, "Am I too young to be reading these?" But then I was like, "No, I actually need these in my life." So I have my old ones that I look back on every now and then and like one of my favorite covers of essence is a queen latifah one and then there's a raven one from ebony as well when raven simone was on the cover and i loved that one i loved that issue with her on mm. 
I used to love Essence as well. Like I have, I used to buy Essence like quite regularly. I still have like a bunch of copies of Essence um, <laughs> in my toilet, like <laughs> like next to the loo. We had like a stand with like loads of magazines. Mm-hmm. I like I have loads of copies of Essence um, and Ebony. And I I definitely remember um, growing up just loving black hair, black hair and beauty magazine, um, mm-hmm. black hair magazine. Like going to the hairdressers with my mum and. Sick, and you know, like in the hairdressers, they'll give you like a magazine to look through. And I used to absolutely love going to the hairdressers with my mom and looking through all the pictures of black women in the magazines. But I think one thing, especially that I would say, despite all the progress, is that I think colorism is still, um, it's still a real problem in terms of representation. And I think that's one thing that growing up that I realized as well. I think I used to be really confused growing up while, um, because. I think now there's a, a lot more of a stronger um, idea about mixed race identity as it and as it being more of a separate thing from black identity, um, or be, always been a separate thing within black identity. That at the time I kind of didn't really like. I don't think I fully understood the fact that some people <laughs> like I understood that some people were mixed race, but I think I see women in magazines like Black Beauty and be really confused why, like, for example, my hair like wouldn't look exactly like theirs even if I use exactly the same like products or whatever or it's the fact that my or the fact that like I'd be like oh like I'm really really dark if you see me like I am I am dark skin but I'm not I wouldn't say like when it comes to shades of black people I'm definitely not the darkest and I think there was definitely a feeling that that there's a particular type of black beauty that was promoted even within black people um, that was seen as the epitome of beauty and that I still couldn't subscribe to even though those women were seen as black um, and I think that's something that's mm. still a problem even for young women growing up and even within something like the natural hair movement the fact that the natural hair movement started for like basically you know started by women with tight full hair and that it's now become co-opted by I mean, mixed race girls yeah, yeah. Right, essentially yeah. by mixed race and biracial women um, and it's become about like 3B, 3C hair, um, and almost that black women have essentially been forced to the outskirts of a movement that they started. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think even with the body positive movement. Pardon? Yeah, body positive movement. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that there is definitely, um, even though we've, been, we've made progress, I think, I think in terms of colorism, I think it's actually got worse over the past few years than it was when I was growing up. I remember growing up actually and being able to see like Art Viv on Fresh Prince or seeing um, a much more of a plethora of black women who looked like me, even in music. So like Brandy and, um, or I'm trying to think like you had your Mary J. Blige's, you had your Foxy Browns, you had, um, you know, even just. You know, Kim's even mm. just like even like Lil Kim, the way she looks now is not how she looked in the nineties. Not how she looked in the nineties. No. You know, you had your Kelly Rodans, you had your Michelle from Destiny's Child, even like someone who's like you know maybe not like darker, but just like a brown skin girl. You mm. even had like light skinned black women like Aaliyah or you know light, but but like now it's literally like if you go on Netflix, the vast majority of films that have a quote unquote black woman is actually biracial women. Um, so I think right, yeah. Um, I think we've made some steps backwards when it comes to representation. Um, in some ways, like we've made a lot of steps forward, but I think there is definitely still that problem within within mainstream Hollywood and within some parts of the black media as well. I think no. that 
No, carry on, carry on. Um, yeah, that's so, so valid because um, I feel like in mainstream Hollywood, they are loving, they love currently casting a light-skinned girl like your Zendaya, your Laura, Laura Harrier, your um, Amanda. Um, and I just want to take it back to the UK for a second. Like, we had people like, I don't remember Angelica Bell on CBBC. Yes, I yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. She's lovely. Right? We had her. Um, we had June Sarpong. Yeah, um, oh my gosh, Jean Sarthorn. Yeah. Mm. She's the um, she's the BBC director of oh gosh, what is she the director of? Like they gave it to her last year and I have to find it. June. I wanna say it's diversity, but I don't I don't know if I'm right. It, it, I feel like there's diversity in the title. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's the director of creative diversity. Yeah. Um and like I remember when June started on T four and she yes! was wearing she was wearing was it Kente cloth or something like that? She, but she came out in like full Ghanaian wear and um we never saw her in that again because they didn't like it. Mm. Um mm. but you know, she stayed on our screens. We had her for the longest time. Yeah, we um, did. We had Angelica Bell, and I can't think of any other dots. Oh wait, okay, dark, another dots came when we ha- we had Sabrina in Mystique. Like the fact that she was the lead singer was a huge thing for me as a kid. Like I loved Alicia, but I loved the fact that Sabrina was at the forefront of the group. Yeah, just for representation purposes. As a oh, even Kaisha Ka- Ka- from Sugar Babes. Oh yes, I love Kaisa. Kaisa, is it Kaisa? Kaisa, yeah. She, she was like was my favorite. Yeah. She was like, she was like the best singer of the group, and she was also absolutely gorgeous. I remember looking up to her so much. We had Jamelia. How can we forget Jamelia? Jamelia, oh, yes, oh. Uh, yeah. superstar. superstar. Losses, that used to be my sister. That used to be my sister Sayla's song. Like she would not stop playing that song. That song is <laughs> etched into the memory bank of my brain. Yeah. But no, um, Nezzy, you're right. You are absolutely right. And I do think I do think it's actually got worse over the years. Yeah, even it's, though it's we're got worse. Progress. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it's got worse too because if you look at the the music scene in the UK now. Can anyone think of one dark skinned woman? Um like who's, who's popping like that? Like I can think of dark skinned women who I love, but they're not you as pop- like pop- I can think of like, like I can think of Laura and Vula, but she hasn't released an album. She needs to release an album soon. I can think of now, I can think of Ray Black. Yeah, a very black. Um... But these aren't these aren't like household. These definitely aren't names that are like I think they're popular yeah. among young black people who know and like music. But they're definitely not names that like the average person on the street would know. Um, yeah. they're not ha- they're not household names in the way that that or even even having the the level of commercial success that somebody like all of our I was looking at just all of the musicians who transitioned overseas recently. 
um, in terms of British, I, I would say black British, but let's say it's, it's, it's not really, it's mixed race British music. It's all been biracial, it's been LMA, it's been um, Georgia Smith, it's been Georgia Smith, mm-hmm. it's been, um, is it Mahalia? Emily yeah, Sande, yeah. it's been mm-hmm. Leona, Leona Lewis. What what happened to Alexandra Burke? What happened? What indeed happened to Alexandra Burke? I mean, she's doing. I think she's doing really well in the theater, apparently. But okay, she's yeah. doing well in what theater? I think she does well. Obviously, oh, not allowed to coronavirus. Her and Beverly Knight are killing mm-hmm. theater. Like, oh, great. Beverly, Beverly Knight has basically been booked and busy ever since she went down the theatre route, which I'm happy for her, but I'm also sad that that seemed to be the only option because here's the thing. With theatre, you have to be able to sing. There is no mediocrity in yeah. theatre whatsoever. You have to do that for as many days as, you know, the production's on. So that could be three, four days a week. And mm. sorry to say, a lot of these biracial girls, and it's got nothing to do with their with their race or their skin tone, but a lot of the biracial girls that are being held up as, like, the standard of Black British m- music could not do that. If we're keeping 100, no. I can never see George yeah, yeah. Uh, the only person who I think of the mixed race girls who has the range is Emily Sande. Yes, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. yeah. I really like Emily Sande actually. Mm. Um no, but I yeah. Love love right. Yeah. I, I think you're completely right. Because even Nao, she I know Nao, bless her, her last album was Grammy nominated. I've seen her on colours. I think in terms of black middle darker skinned women i can only see nao right now as the one that has kind of any kind of commercial push to her yeah Um, yeah definitely and even still for nao's talent it's nowhere near what it should be no and that's the problem i think is there's always the thing of it's just it's not marketable in the same way that um it, it, yeah, it's not seen as marketable in the same way that biracial women are, and mm. and but, but it's it's it, it, it's not marketable because they don't try to as well, and they don't push them, and they don't give them backing, and also they're not. Unfortunately, I think part of what the difference in the nineties is, I think what we as black people also celebrated. So I think yeah. there's there is a lot more diversity in the black community in terms of what we considered attractive in the nineties, actually mm. than. Than now, I think, especially with Instagram, I think there's definitely a lot more of um, and I, and I hate to bring it back to the gender thing, but especially with, with black men, the black men I know who are in their mm-hmm. what late twenties, like I would say early thirties, oh their forties, early thirties, um, late thirties, even sometimes late twenties, early thirties. In terms of who they saw as attractive growing up, there's a a much there's a wider range of women. In terms of skin tone, okay. but the younger you get, the less there is that range. There's definitely a lot more of a very specific type of beauty that's acceptable. Um, 
And I think that's a shame. And I think because of that, then we're not we're not elevating those women as much as we should be even within our communities, let alone the white community doing that. No, I agree. Because I was looking at this I was looking at this picture on Instagram uh, this week and it was who was considered the nineties baddies and you had such a range of skin tones. You had um Lisa Bonet from the Cosbys, but you had Ashley Ashley and Hillary from The Fresh Prince. You had Lisa mm. Turtle from Saved by the Bell. You had um, the chick who played Laura Winslow. You had Mia Campbell from In the House. Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think. You had, obviously, Brandy Moesha. There was such a range, and they were just, you know, black women. And I definitely do think the 106 and Park slash MTV base ever ruined a lot of things for black men because with then it was it was puerto rican looking girls and it was just racially ambiguous girls and that was it i definitely yeah. remember um i will never forget um neo when neo came on the scene and what was his second single it wasn't so sick Oh gosh, what was Neo's second single? It was really upbeat, but the name will come back to me. But I remember he had a dark-skinned woman as like his leading lady, and I remember being so shocked seeing her. One, she was gorgeous, but two, it had been so long since I had seen a dark-skinned mm-hmm. video girl. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember? Do you guys remember? Um... Was it Fronting by Pharrell? I was just fronting. Oh, yeah. Do you guys remember the, the girl in that video? Yes, there's a dark skin girl in that video. There's a dark yeah. girl Lauren London kept trying to move out the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I I remember, because I, I, I just, like, I don't, I'm not big, like, you know, like, for a fan or anything, but I just remember I, a couple of weeks ago, I watched that video just because I was trying to, I was trying to think, is it, um, is it like in my head the idea? Also, I think I don't know that. I was saying I was trying to remember whether it was in my head that I thought there was more diversity in terms of video girls and stuff, or was it actually true? So I went back to some of these like older music videos and I was like, oh my gosh, the difference, the contrast is so stark. Um, mm. it's like if you look back on the mm-hmm. on older music videos and older TV shows, like there is still a heavy amount of colorism even in TV, like especially American black american tv of the 90s like you know you've got your whitley gilberts and you've got your lisa bonet's and you've got your hillary's and like there is definitely a still a push to of there is still not a proportional representation in terms of um in terms of skin tone but there are definitely a lot more and it's just weird that we've managed to progress in some ways but completely regress in in other ways i think um what you've said about there being not a proportionate amount of like dark skinned women on TV um takes me back to like dark skinned and light skinned Aunt Viv and dark skinned and light skinned Claire. Yes. <laughs> um and I remember I think with Claire in particular, because I was a little older and was understanding visually things a lot more um I was like triggered and annoyed as to why they got rid of the dark girl I was like 
what's going on here like when it comes to dark skin clairs sis could not act <laughs> she couldn't act but i was still like damn they really just got rid of her and then dark like dark skinned aunt viv she was the aunt viv we all knew and loved she like laid the foundation for that character i mean she was that character let's face yeah. it like the, the next aunt viv just was like like when she would come up, i'd be like oh like not not in a bad way, but she doesn't she didn't really add anything like mm-hmm. really to her role. Like I feel like she just she was her her aunt Viv was a completely different aunt Viv to the first aunt Viv, which is like yeah. it was a very inconsistent transition because her personality. And you know, you're like, saying that like yeah, like you saying that um like I, okay one I felt bad I I feel I even feel bad for labeling them dark skin aunt Viv and like light skin aunt Viv. I, I, that has never sat comfortably with me but when you said that light skin out viv had like not much to the role it i feel like it takes me back to um that thing of oh light skin girls are pretty but they just don't really have much to them yes you know? and that is also even the, yeah even the even and that's the thing even with colorism it's like the negative stereotyping let's yeah. be real like colorism doesn't there's no such thing as reverse colorism so it doesn't affect like some people in the same way that adult. it's a system based on proximity mm. to whiteness but but there was definitely a thing of like hillary being the prototype for like the ditzy biracial girl and that kind of followed in other like i feel like claire from my i feel like that's been a trope in like quite a few series like even lisa bonnet her character in the cosby was a bit more ditzy um, Hillary and Fresh Prince, Claire from My Wife and Kids. Um, I'm trying to think of other shows. Even Zoe from Blackish, like the kind of superficial light skinned girl who cares about clothes and makeup and her mm-hmm. appearance and gets boys and is not doesn't really have much depth to her. Um, yeah. that is a trope that we kind of see in Black TV, which is actually quite negative for light skinned women as well. Um, mm-hmm. and then the black girl is kind mm-hmm. of almost like the black the dark skin, you know, black girl being like more serious, a bit more, you know, a bit more deep, a bit more depth to her, a bit more of a personality. So it, it's actually like a negative impact on both sides. Not yeah. not not the same, but as in there is still some negative impact to like the women of that. No, it does. I think that's something that truly actually bothered me about what happened to Aunt Viv's character because I feel like we wouldn't have felt as strongly about what happened to dark-skinned Aunt Viv if there had been consistency in her character because the the whole thing about Aunt Viv was that she was a badass she she was a teacher at Bel Air Academy she taught them black history her and Uncle Phil used to be like freedom fighters back in the day she went to night school to get her education she was not afraid to put anyone in her place and Aunt Viv oh yeah she was a dancer dark skinned Aunt Viv had some of the most memorable scenes and lines in the Fresh Prince and then when they changed the actress it's like the entire character of Aunt Viv went with her. Suddenly she was a housewife. She was nowhere near as funny. She yeah. she, she barely said anything. Like I 
and this is not me being shady because I love the Fresh Prince, but I cannot think of like one Aunt Viv line mm. or scene once they change characters. And I don't, I don't get why they did that because even with Claire from My Wife and Kids, one thing that they kept true about her was about that Claire was conceited. Like, yeah. dark-skinned Claire thought she was the prettiest thing on the planet. You couldn't tell her nothing. And that carried through into um, uh, Jennifer Freeman's Claire. Mm-hmm. Now, do I think that all the the characters got ridiculous the further my wife and kids got? Yes, but I just think that was down to the show. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say something that I have noticed in recent years because um, – I do think something that has played a part in how we all look at things was the fact that, and God bless the fact that we had trouble growing up before they took it away from us. There was such a variety of black shows growing up because you couldn't tell. I feel like you'll be hard pressed to tell any guy from our generation that what was it? Tatiana Ali wasn't as pretty as it got. Like, you were not going to say that Tatiana Ali was pretty for a dark-skinned girl. No, Tatiana Ali is just fine. However, it got to, like, the early 2000s, and suddenly black shows just got stamped out, and we've been having to claw to bring them back. What I have noticed in terms of representation and colorism is that the people who have brought back dark-skinned women have all been black women. Mm. So when you look at Shonda Rhimes, what she did with, scandal and what she did with um how to get away with murder and even bringing in the the range of diversity that's on Grey's Anatomy mm. Shonda Rhimes black woman Queen Sugar, Queen Sugar Ava DuVernay um obviously Insecure is Issa Rae's creation and you've got two dark-skinned women mm. and ugh, I know that there's more shows but nothing my brain is drawing to a bit of a blank right now um you could even say what was it like with Empire and you've got Taraji, but that is a gay black man, um, uh, mm-hmm. Lee Daniels. That, that about, and I have noticed that um, gay black men seem to have a better um, level of empathy for black women than straight black men do. Absolutely. Yeah. They so, can do, yeah. Whereas um, you look at the other shows and films that still have lighter skin or biracial women at the helm they are run by black men but it's because it's literally because i think i don't know if you think it's about empathy it's the fact that like straight black men cast women they want to sleep with Mm. like that's literally what it is like they cast the women that they they think (laughs) that they would watch and want to want to like date or sleep with and i think gay black men can be more unbiased in the sense that they can cast women who actually are just the best for the role yeah um not that they don't they're not they're, they're not affected by colorism things too but even though because from what i know from even from black LGBT, LGBT, lgbt people that there's colorism within that community as well obviously because you know oh, yes. black people, but i mean i do think that straight black men are essentially casting the women that they want to sleep with um, and I don't think that all that all straight black men uh, only want to sleep with like very short skinned women because that's not you know that's not been my experience. Um, but I do think, especially for um, 
especially for black men who are in those positions of power like light-skinned is not it's not really even just to do with what you find attractive but it's also to do with um with what's seen as proximity to whiteness and what socially um gives you a kind of currency like a premium so a light-skinned woman on your like even if you are you are sleeping with a dark woman like you know, there's a whole thing about the starter wife. So Kevin Hart is hitting his, his original wife being like a particular tone and whatever, looking like a particular way. And then it becoming more racially ambiguous the richer they get because it's definitely to do with proximity to whiteness and power. Yeah. Um, but I think they are casting according to what they think is premium in this society. And for them, that is those women. Um, and yeah, so definitely I think black women are the ones who are... Who are changing and i think the ratings show that actually maybe actually black men are the ones who are a bit more backwards in their thinking because actually the ratings for scandal and the ratings for how to get away with murder are as high as they are for so it's not that white audiences will not watch a show with a dark-skinned black woman or a brown-skinned black woman mm-hmm. um it's that black men are are caged to their own internalized racism and colorism and it's not even necessarily reflective of um, and, and also, like, let's not be straight about men. Like, white white people are also casting are also colorists in their casting. But I think, in terms of audiences, I don't think there's any. I don't think anymore we can say that that we don't bring in the ratings. I don't think that can be the argument anymore. No, it definitely can't because when you look at something like Insecure, because I'll put it like this: when you look at a show like Scandal and How to Get Away with Murder, they are black women and darker skinned black women at the helm but there is enough quote-unquote diversity in the show to I think make people of other audiences feel comfortable yeah yeah, the the storyline is so good and so Mm -hmm. strong that you're there's no argument for scandal how to get away with murder yeah but when you look at a show like Insecure it's Issa Rae has made that show unapologetically, unapologetically black. Black. Yeah. And yeah. Very, yeah, and very unapologetically Inglewood. Mm. And the ratings for Insecure are still very much there. The amount of Emmy nominations that this previous season of Insecure got was through the roof. I think they got something like maybe four or five Emmy nominations. Yeah, I was... I was- I wasn't shocked because the writing was that good. I would have been shocked and angry if they didn't get nominations. Mm. Mm. So, so you can't, and that that has two dark-skinned women at the helm. So, what the the excuses are not there. Even I remember when Black Panther was coming through to fruition and the cast was being announced and there were some rumblings in the black community of why they weren't any light-skinned people. I was just there like, oh, for the love of God, are you serious? <laughs> I was just there like, can, can, we, can we not crab in the barrel this film? Because I, I definitely think that the whole argument between oh black british um actors are coming and taking our african-american role is nothing but crab in the barrel talking but i do think that's a conversation for another time Mm -hmm. but guys 
for the love of everything, this is a film that is based in Africa, not to say they are not light-skinned people in the continent, because they definitely are. But when we talk about who gets the majority of roles in, in, in Black Hollywood, it's definitely the lighter-skinned, racially ambiguous girls. If so, if for this one movie you have Lupita and Denai and Letitia and the whole of the Dora Milaje being dark-skinned, will you die? Honestly, and I think... <laughs> yeah, I think that's inter- that's another interesting thing. Do you guys think... Um, I don't know, can I ask a question, Tasha? Of course. Do you guys think that representation of... Um, like, do you feel that there's, that representation of black women is often... Um, that they rely a lot on black women being strong and not being feminine. Because I remember when, when I initially, I've watched Black Panther now and I absolutely love it, but one thing that initially put me off Black Panther, um, mm. and I watched it quite late, was actually the was actually the whole thing about the kind of like black women as warrior. I was just like, oh my gosh, like, like a bald-headed black woman fighting is just not something that I need to see again. Um... Again, when have you ever seen it? No, I don't think I've seen a bald-headed black woman, but I think the idea of a black woman being a warrior or like a fighter, I was just like, that is not something that... that The idea of a black woman being a fighter is not something that I want to see. Again, obviously, I don't think we've ever seen it in that specific context, but I think we've seen that kind of whole strong, a strong black woman trope. I was like, I'm really ready for black women to be like delicate and like vulnerable. And I'm like, can we not get a damsel in distress movie with a black woman? Like, I'm very happy for that to happen. Not because I think, and and on, on one hand, I was like, okay, yeah, with feminism, you kind of, you know, my feminism, and I, I do, I do want to see, I don't want to see women just being kind of like weak and whatever. But I, I did initially think I was like, gosh, there's so many, uh, there's so much strength that we see cast in Hollywood when it comes to black women that I really would like to see more depictions of in terms of representation of black women as not being like that. Like, how many silly ditzy romance movies do you know with the, the black woman where she's just, like, the girl who gets the guy at the end and she doesn't have some massive trauma or she's not fighting something. Like which is my favourite film. That's where it happens. Do you know what? You know what? You're right. That's um, really about it. Um, what comes to mind is, I don't know if you guys watched it, um, Euphoria. Um, so Zendaya's character, Rue, her mum is black. And um, I remember watching the depiction of a black mum. I was like, oh, wow, how beautiful. Like, it was the complete opposite of um, her having to be a strong black mum. There was a really good balance in how she was portrayed. Like, she had vulnerable moments, but also really feminine and soft moments and very understanding moments instead of, like, these critical and judgmental and like lack of understanding moments where that black mothers have been portrayed with on tv mm-hmm. um so i think that i don't know that's the only thing that comes to mind when i think about black women being portrayed feminine and vulnerable i can't i can't think of anything that breaks my heart oh my gosh 
Um, there was Beyond the Lights with um, Gugu. I can never pronounce her last name. Ambassador. And I'm being really yeah. pedantic, but if we take biracial women out of this, I think we're going to struggle. Yeah. Um, maybe. But what I will say about Black Panther, and this is the comic book nerd in me jumping out, what I, ten- what I found with the discourse of Black Panther, um, especially after the euphoria of it died down, as a, I find it quite disappointing how a lot of Black people expected Black Panther to be everything it's like every negative thing that has happened in the black community when it comes to film. So it's like it to be remedied. Yeah. Yeah. It was like Black Panther was meant to be the answer to all of that. And it's like, well, guys, Black Panther is only one film. Mm-hmm. And going back to your point, Nezi, I think, um, I, I'm not going to assume, do you read comic books or do you follow the Marvel franchise or not? No, no, but the thing is, I wasn't saying that Black Panther was wrong for that, or that Black Panther, or that was a, a that that was a because I know that's just that is literally just part of the storyline, and yeah, yeah, it's part of the comic books, and I so it and when I watched it, it was great. I actually loved how it was done. Like it was, and I actually watching it, I actually found it empowering rather than like. But I think what I was saying was at the time I was just like, we've. I think I I think for me I was like is this adding to an already a trope that is already there that happens over and over again which is that black women are strong you know and I know that um, I know that it's kind of unfair to judge black panther in I'm not judging black panther for doing that or saying that it was wrong what I'm saying is that there that depiction of black womanhood, I feel, is in a way like quite common in some ways. Like even though we don't usually see us as like in that position of power in a film, which I think is different. I, I don't think you see that, but I do think this this the whole aspect of strength, and that's why I was talking about the whole aspect of strength, I do think that is something that's like quite common and that's something that I would I would like to see more of a different side of black women in 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 terms of representation, I def- I personally would like to see like a lot more, um, and I don't think it's about modelling white femininity. So I feel like some of the the white women in rom coms actually come across as quite ridiculous and like pathetic, and I I don't, I don't necessarily want black women to like to model themselves on that, right? But I do think I want um more of a range of stories and personalities and um identities for black women in film. Mm-hmm. Well, go, going to Black Panther and the Marvel movies, I will say that I don't think that um, the, it did any detriment whatsoever. I think it was the way they depicted them was great. Yeah. Purely because, yeah. Like, um, like, having watched Ryan Coogler's interviews about how he wrote the script, he wanted to have, like, Wakanda has reached like a higher plane of understanding, which is the way society functions. We work towards everyone's gifting, yeah, rather than not towards gender. Mm. So we understand that the biggest brain in the country is a sixteen-year-old black girl. So yeah. she is the head of technology. We understand that the most capable warriors 
who to look after the king turn out to be the black women and i can't remember how the uh, i had read how the dora milaje was selected but it's completely um in the comic books has um how the dora milaje was uh, selected but it's completely left my brain so i just adored them and honestly for women in the marvel franchise anyway most of the women kick behind and the yeah, ones who don't and the ones who don't are the ones that the fandom usually can't stand like natalie portman's character in thor and pepper Potts. it's like if you're not gonna fight can you get out of the way because you're not doing it like you're not you're not fun to watch because yeah. at the end of the day this, this is an action film yeah and definitely. so even oh i forgot what her name is but she's going to be in the next james bond oh LaShonda Lynch. Yeah, LaShonda Lynch. She was in um, Captain Marvel. Mm. And she was a bad, bad girl pilot just kicking behind black women saving the day. So I feel like when you're looking at specifically action films, like there has to be strength. Otherwise, move out the way. Like you're, you're just, you're going to play the character that the man saves. And that's boring. And you probably won't end up in the next film anyway. Mm-hmm. So... That's how it is. Now, when it comes to rom-coms, I don't really know because, guys, I tr- I, I hate romance films. <laughs> like, every once in a while, I can watch them, but most of the time, I just feel like they're so dumb. And you and you evaluate the relationship. They're, like, so toxic. So yeah, we, can, we can open up the end to unpopular opinions. So I'm just going to put this out there right now. Hmm. Love and basketball, hate it. Listen, some of the most heralded 90s black films are the ones I truly cannot stand. Even Go Brown Sugar? Brown Sugar is I love half Brown Sugar. Yeah. Brown Sugar is okay for me, mm-hmm. but let me tell you how I wish I could bury love in basketball in the dirt. I hate that film. <laughs> Okay, what I do hate is the last scene. The double or the nothing? Scene, I'm like, what is what is this crap? Like, what? <laughs> me. Me. Me, Leslie, I'm not going to say my last name on the podcast, ever pick up some kind of leather ball and bounce it around the court to play for a man's heart. Are you absolutely mad? Like, mm. <laughs> it's just sheer insanity. Like, I'm like, what self-respecting woman would ever put herself in that position? I'm just like... Really? Many, that's why it's loved. Many would. Yeah. You see, the thing is, though, the last scene did, the last scene bothered me because I was like, this man's meant to be getting engaged tomorrow, and this is even a factor that you're considered. Poor, I was thinking, poor Tyra. But th- that wasn't even the thing that bothered me the most. The thing that bothered me the most was, why are you even contemplating fighting for this man who was horrible to you yeah. during your relationship? Oh my gosh, yeah, he was as well. I was like, when you got to to college, you guys were both there on your basketball scholarship, and yet he was expecting you to act like his cheerleader. Yeah. And when when she was there doing, like, doing her games or whatever, he got mad and cheated on her. I was like, sis, have some self-respect. So that's why I don't like love and basketball. I just thought, like... 
we're we're expecting all this vim and all this work to happen behind a man who was really not that nice or that good for you and then when I look at Love Jones I don't know if you watched that one it's with uh, Nia Long and what's his name Lorenzo yeah I haven't seen it though Oh, girl, spoiler alert, sorry. But we're just saying (laughs) all this effort behind a man who didn't even put in, like, an ounce of effort. But that's a running theme with Black (laughs) Hong Kongs. That is, like, a running theme with Black Hong Kongs, is that... Okay, and this is one thing. This is one unpopular thing that I have. Black rom-coms condition Black women to accept absolute rubbish from Black men. And have low standards. Oh, I will absolutely stand by that. And also, they always try and guilt like professional black women into dating um, like men from who don't have as much money as them, and that really ticks me off as well. If Gabrielle acts in one more film where she ends up like dating, like I don't know, the bus driver, or the, I just like, and it's nothing wrong with dating bus drivers. Let me just make that clear. But it's the idea that black women are constantly told that like. If you have any, like, if you have a standard to be like, oh, actually, I want somebody with this amount of money, or I want somebody who, there is nothing wrong with having an idea of who you want today, and it being, and you, and you having idea that for you, um, a certain price bracket or a certain job is important. Other women do it all the time. Other races women do it all the time. And I'm not saying we should base, we should base, we should base love on that. Like, I'm not saying that. I think it's perfectly fine to date people who are who have different jobs who, who might have not be as well, well off as you I think but the idea of guilting black women in every single film to be like oh like she didn't want to date the the guy who couldn't afford to take her out to the nice restaurant and she's a really bad person and then something happened and she got humbled and now they're married and have two kids really yeah. annoys me that's, that's you know what you've just reminded me of again you keep reminding me of things um you know, th- films like that always get thrown into this conversation towards, I would say, no, I would say all black women, like like you see on talk shows like a Steve Harvey or something like that, where it's, you know, so if you don't find the man of your dreams and he's not a banker and a Fortune 500 job, would you date a bus driver? Would you date the bin man? Oh, and, always. Uh, yeah. And then the woman will hesitate, you know, when really you can tell she wants to say, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. But for the sake of TV or whatever, she'll say, yeah, I could date him as long as he loves me, you know. And, oh, no. And I don't think that, and I think that, I think, and I really want to be clear that I'm not, I'm not saying that people who have jobs like that, it's bad or that you shouldn't date. And what I'm saying is the idea that you are, if your personal preference is something different, that you are a bad person, I find that really frustrating, more so because I feel like other races of women are not taught that. And I think black rom-coms push that more than any other genre. Like, I've never, in white rom-com movies, like, I I do not see this push half or even a quarter as much as I do in black. I don't think I've seen it in any white rom-com where there is an agenda because even think like a man even though it is one of my favourite films in life and then probably my favourite black rom-com Taraji's character, the whole thing about her game with Michael No, the thing is the fact that you know, it was like, you kind of need to drop your standards a little bit in order to be with him. 
I don't really mind the way that in which they did it because Michael Ely's character wasn't about nothing. Mm-hmm. No, but it was about that he lied about what he was about. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. That's I feel like all the men did some lying mm-hmm. and then got humbled and had to come begging, crawling, crying and pleading. Yeah, and but she had to come crawling back to him. And that's the thing that got me at the end. She had to come back and beg him. Yeah, because she lied. When did she lie? When she got when she got back together with Morris Chestnut, she kind of did him dirty and then like tried to dump him ruthlessly. And he was like, "Nah, it's cool." Left, and then Morris Chestnut was a bit of a douchebag. So yeah, but there's the idea that he didn't ever have to. Did he? Did he ever like apologize for lying? Yeah, he did. Oh, did he? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, he did, and they went through. So I guess that's why I didn't. I think my favorite thing about Think Like a Man is that every man, except for Michael Ealy's character, no, even he had to. They all had to apologize, humble themselves, crawl back to the black women, put in that work. I was like, finally, mm. crawling, begging, putting in work. We love to see it. <laughs> we love to see it. Can I? Yeah. Sorry, Tasha. Mm. I just want to um, throw in plus size black women and how. Queen Latifah, when it comes to rom coms, has been like the only representation for plus size. Oh, black I think women. that's so true. And she's not really that plus size. Like, not to diminish, but do you know what I mean? She's like. Yeah. And like, I've just thought of the movie Just Right. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Yes, oh, yes. Mm. I remember that one. Common, bless his heart. Common is not an actor. Uh, he's he's not. I remember yes, him yes. saying that this man can't act as fine as he is. <laughs> Right, they love a common, and I don't. I mean, I get it. The thing is, we love to watch common movies. But um, I remember watching Just Right and thinking about how, like, Queen Latifah's character was second place and second choice Mm. to Common's basketball baller character. Like, it took him being dumped by light-skinned pretty slim Paula Patton's character yeah like I yeah I just thought wow yeah that 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 was sucky I do Mm. I do definitely think that um but one but one thing I will say about Queen Latifah which I do appreciate about her is that Queen Latifah in all her films has never been without a fine black man. Yes. It's true. Like, it's true. Her in her film with like Elo Courge, when Queen Latifah is leading lady, the man always got to be fine. And I'm like, I love that for plus size, plus size, plus size black women. Because it's not a situation of accept whatever you're given. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to sit out here and act like plus size black women don't get chosen. They absolutely do. Mm-hmm. But my only my issue with black rom coms is like, ev- is it every day struggle love? Is it every day? Yeah, it's just mm. it's, there's a, there's too much there's too much and there's too much struggle. And I want black women to to know that even though yes, it can be harder um, dating as a black woman, like, and there are things to contend with. Like, do not be fooled. It's not. I don't want to say. I don't want to diminish and say it's not. It's not the. It doesn't have to be the struggle that people sometimes make it out to be. Like, it doesn't have to be. And you definitely do not have to um, 
Yeah, you don't have to accept scraps from men. No. Like, you're not a dog, you don't need to accept scraps. Because so often we get told that we should settle for the first guy that speaks to us mm-hmm. and wants to marry us, you know. I, I will say this, though. I feel like black women, especially if you're going for men for a certain bracket in terms of their taxes... I would just say black women be open to dating men outside of our race. Yeah, for sure. Just because in terms of, if you look at the level of education that black women have, black women are definitely, I can't remember what the statistics are, but we certainly are higher in black men when it comes to um, higher higher education, especially when you get to master's, PhD level. And so certain jobs and rooms we may find ourselves in you might not find too many of our brothers there so i wouldn't say i would just say don't cut yourself off because you solely want it to be a black man because unfortunately the reciprocity with black men is not there black men look at all their options not just black women no yeah. they don't and i they would say they listen at all their options <laughs> they say this all their options i mean Guys, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Where can the good people find you? Um, Uhura, I'll start with you. Um, you can find me on Twitter, Uhura Zulu. It's U-H-U-R-A-Z-U-L-U. Same on Instagram. And you can find the Unpacked podcast on Twitter and Instagram as well. Okay. And Nezi? You can find me at tales from the plantation um podcast and we're on all platforms we're on spotify um also tales from the plantation on twitter and then on twitter my like personal page is nezita so n-e-z-e-t-t-a okay and you can find the unpacked podcast on spotify soundcloud and apple podcasts beautiful guys um you can find a soulful storm SoundCloud, Spotify, Anchor, um, social medias, A Soulful Storm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and on WordPress as well. And then mine is Sampa, S-A-M-P-A-T-A-S-H-A on Twitter, and then Little Miss Tales 7 on Instagram. And, you know, yeah, guys, have a great week. Bye. 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 Bye.